that week. You know, there's a, there's a joke among preachers that if you want to feel good about your preaching's impact, you preach a message on prayer. Because everyone, and I mean everyone, will agree that they need to do a better job praying. Who, who, who's going to say if in the conversation uh, talking about prayer, who's going to have the audacity to be like, no, I'm good. No, I'm, God and I talk enough. That's good. I talk to God enough. Uh, everyone understands that we need to do a better job at praying. Because prayer is indeed important. Very important. In Psalm 62, we see one verse I want to focus in on just for a couple minutes, then we're going to go over to Matthew 6. But in verse 8, it says this, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. The, image that, the imagery that David uses there is, is very powerful to me as I read that. I see him saying, you've know, got to pour out your heart before Him. Have you ever had someone unexpectedly pour their heart out to you? A simple question maybe was, hey, how's it going? And next thing you know, I mean, you have heard about I mean, every trial that that person is in in that moment. And it was just, it was almost like it was was a water balloon ready to burst, and then your question just was a little poke, and then everything came out. It feels good for that person to be able to share with what they're feeling. My, even my four-year-old daughter somewhat understands this. The other night, I was putting her to bed, and we were having some issues with her listening and, and obeying right away. And so I put her to bed, I left for a few minutes, and I came back in and knelt down next to her and just started having a soft dad chat with her. And at one point I said, now Mia, you're going to have to remember this. And she stopped, and it was sincere but it was, she was almost exasperated. She said, but dad, I can't remember everything. And I said, well, what do you mean by that, sweetie? She says, dad, you tell me to remember this. Mom tells me to remember this. My teachers at church tell me to remember this. My friends tell me to remember things. I can't remember it all. She was, I said one thing. I did not expect that response. I said, just remember this. And she's like, my brain is full. At four years old. Now, either my daughter is the smartest person in the world, or she doesn't know the capacity of her own brain. And we had a talk. It was a very sweet conversation, actually. And she had a great way of putting it. She said, my brain takes pictures of everything and I don't know what to do with them. I said, well, let's talk every night. You tell me all the pictures that your brain's taking. I'll tell you if you have to remember them or not. All right? And so that's what we do. So that's what we've done the last couple of times. Then last night I said, okay, let's talk about your pictures. She goes, dad, my brain didn't take pictures today. My job's done. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) 
But you know what was sweet about it is that she very sincerely just poured her heart out to me in a way that, that she could articulate it. It wasn't perfect. We kind of laugh and chuckle at it because her perspective is entirely different than what our perspective would be. But you know, I'm, a, I'm her dad. And when she just poured her heart out to me like that, I did not say, oh, what time is it? Oh, I don't have time for this. It actually moved me that my daughter would just share like that. I couldn't help but think that this is exactly kind of what David here is saying here. He's saying, just pour your heart out before him. But prayer is so important. We know it's important. What does the Bible say about prayer real quickly here? Well, there's a few things to throw on the screen here. Jesus expects us to pray. I mean, look at, look at those references there I put up there. Matthew 6, 5, Matthew 6, 6, 6, 7, 6, 9, Luke 11, 9, Luke 18, 1. All of these things, these are just expectations of prayer. It's not like Jesus is saying, okay, now you might want to try this out. If you have time, do this. No, it's almost an expectation that he says that when you pray, and when you pray, and when you pray, and this is how you should pray. And I say to you, ask, seek. And Jesus told his disciples, you should always pray. And so there's this idea of an expectation that if we're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's the expectation that we should pray. That this is something that should be part of our, our habit. Uh, of It's almost, it should be like breathing. We don't, we don't think about it too much, but we do it a lot, all the time, because it keeps us alive. Jesus has this expectation of prayer. We also saw that in the, in the New Testament, the disciples, the early church in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, they were devoted to prayer. So we see that there's a, a devotion to prayer there. So this is what the first century was about, that the Bible tells us that the early church was devoted to prayer. And then the Bible tells us that we should pray. It gives us commands to pray. You can keep going on the slides there. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. First Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. And we could go more and more, but just in the introduction here, I'm just trying to prove the point that there is the expectation, there is the uh, um, uh, precedence of the early church, and then there is the command that prayer should be part of our lives. Prayer is indeed important, and I don't think too many people would deny that. But let's be honest. The amount of time that most Christians spend in prayer is abysmal. I can't tell you how many times where I've been convicted, like, man, I need to pray more. I've caught myself just, just running ahead in life and making plans and like, wait a minute here. I haven't even stopped to talk to God about this. And I know that I'm not the only person here that struggles with that. I started thinking about prayer in our series that we're in. I started thinking through of why prayer is important. And I think one of the important aspects of prayer is that it does help revive the soul. We need to pour out our hearts before the Lord, as this psalm says here. So if we know that prayer is important, and we know that we many struggle with prayer, why is it? Why is it that Christians and Christian churches fail so miserably in prayer? You know, in our, in our, um, in our church, we've been saying that, that we want to pray more. And as a church, and we're trying to organize some things about that, and I'm going to share with you some of the ideas about that here in a second. But I offer two suggestions why we fail so miserably, and 
in prayer a lot of times is that we don't plan our communication with God enough. I think we overemphasize spontaneous prayer, ignoring the fact that spontaneity is most healthy when rooted in a disciplined life. Now, spontaneous prayer is important, and we're going to talk about that, and, and we should do that. That should be a habit of us. But it's most healthy when that's rooted in a disciplined prayer life, when we have a time that we're, we're consistently spending with God. Then the second off, uh, suggestion I offer is that too many of us have never considered how to pray. How do we pray? What does that look like? Well, to combat the first reason, this lack of a plan, one of the things that we're going to be doing as a church is that we're going to be starting in September uh, a monthly potluck praise and prayer time. First Sunday night of the month, we're going to get together for a potluck dinner, share a meal together, have a devotional thought to guide our our prayers, and then we're going to spend time uh, praying to God uh, and singing to God. So I encourage you to to plan first Sunday night of the month to do that. We feel it's very important for our church to spend more time praying together. Uh, We're Quite honestly, we're we're not doing a great job at that. And this is something God commands us, and whatever God commands is good and good for us. And so if there are some things that you'd like to see different about our church, well, come first Sunday night of the month and pray about it. Pray about it with all of us. And we'll see what God's going to do here. To combat the second reason about how to pray is this message this morning about how should we pray and how does prayer affect the vitality of our souls. So I just offer two simple points this morning. First one is this, that God wants us to pray dependently. God wants us to pray dependently. Your view of God will come out in your prayers. We say in verse 8 of Psalm 62, Trust Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. And so the idea there is that, that we, have to, we have a God that we can trust, a God that we can depend on, a God that He is our refuge. And so when God says, He says, pour out your, 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 your heart before Him, He's saying, pray as if your life depends on it. Pray depending on Him. And how we pray, excuse me, our view of God will come out in our prayers and and how we talk to them. And and the thing that we need to understand is that He can be trusted more than anyone else. We are safe with God because He is good. My daughter felt safe in that moment to tell me what was on her heart. She could pour it out before me, and I was very thankful she did that. God can be trusted far more than a human father such as myself can be trusted. The word trust there in verse 8 of Psalm 62 is an imperative. It's a command. We're told that this is what we should be doing because he is worthy of it and he is, he is, it is, uh, he's never done anything to violate that trust. When Abby read from Luke 11 earlier, we saw this idea there when he says, and which of you would give, if the child asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? Or ask for an egg and get a scorpion. So he says in verse 13 there, Luke says, If you then who are evil, or have an evil heart that is being redeemed, how you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so if, if we as human parents know how to give good gifts to our children, 
How much more does the Heavenly Father know how to interact with us? And so the point is, is that we can trust Him. That whatever God sends our way, it is good. Now, we may not understand it. We may not be able to see the goodness of it. But think about it as a child, when the things that your parents would tell you to do, or the commands that they would give you, did you always see the goodness of it? Did you always see the value of it in that moment? We could very quickly come up with illustrations of you know, nap time. I remember arguing with my mom about nap time. And she'd be like, Jeremy, you need a nap. And I would say, no, I do not. And thereby proving that I did. Now today, if you said, Jeremy, you need a nap, I would say, absolutely. And I would take it. But because why? I am so much wiser now than I was then. I see the wisdom of a nap. When I got to college, you lived for the nap. It was amazing. You know, my freshman year, I couldn't believe how many naps I took that year. But difference of perspective, right? See, God can be trusted. Whatever he brings our way is good. And so we can go to him in prayer. We can say, God, I, I, we can pour out our heart before him. We can say, God, I'm depending on you right now. I'm depending on you that, that this, what you have brought away, brought to my way, is good. And I, I, I'm just pouring my heart before you. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't see it. But I know that you are trustworthy, and so I'm going to trust you in that. So we need to pray dependently, to pray that as if we need God for everything, because he can be trusted. So confide in God. Again, it says pour out your heart before him. That's an imperative as well. Later on in Psalm 142, David says, I poured out my complaint before God. Hold nothing back. God wants to hear what no one else wants to hear. I, I, I routinely just, just speak my thoughts to God. My confusing, my, 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 if I'm confused about something, I talk to him about it. Um, just the other day I wrote in my journal this, and my journal acts as a, as a prayer time for me many times. I wrote this, I said, God, there's a fine line between weariness and discouragement, and I'm not sure which I'm dealing with right now, but you do. Help me. I didn't know, I couldn't parse out my own feelings. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't parse out whether I was just tired or if I was really discouraged about something. So what did I do? I just said, God, you figure it out. You figure out what I need. You know what I need in this moment better than I do. I confided in him. That's a hard thing to, sometimes there's things that it's hard to discuss with other people, but we're told to pour out our hearts before him. And so this is, this is my, my plea this morning to all of us here is that we start looking at prayer time as a time just to be honest with God and pour out our thoughts before him and let him work those things through with us. Enter into a conversation with God. Depend on God to work out your emotion. I mentioned in, in um, Adult Discipleship Hour that one of the ways the image of God is seen in, the, in mankind is that we have the, a complexity of emotions and that we can have multiple emotions at the exact same time. And they, even if they're conflicting emotions, we have that capacity because that's the, God has that capacity and he's given that to us. And sometimes it's hard to parse those things out or hard, hard to, to figure out what emotion is going on here. That's where we just go to God. Say, God, we need, I need you in this moment. And so our view of God will come out in our prayers. Do we see him as big enough to handle what we're talking about? 
the problem that we're dealing with? Is he able to, to work through that? I've told you before, a shortcoming of mine is that uh, it's, a, it's a strength, but it's also a weakness. And our strengths, just, just know this about anthropology, about man, that your strengths always become your weakness as well. My strength is that uh, I learned a good work ethic from my father and from my youth pastor. Uh, working hard, is, it comes very naturally to me. But that's also my weakness because what, a lot of times what happens if I see a problem presented, then I say, okay, well, I'm just going to work really hard to solve this problem. And then often that doesn't work. And so then I say, oh, okay, plan B, work harder. Okay, so I work even harder at it. And then that doesn't work. I say, okay, now we got to go to C, work even harder. Okay, and so that's, and then, you know, you just like, wait a minute, I need to stop to pray about this thing because I've been working my own strength here. I haven't been dependent upon God for this. Our view of God comes out in our prayer life. I like what Donald Whitney said. I put it on the screen. I think it's there. It says, when our awareness of the greatness of God and the gospel is dim, our prayer lives will be small. And that book, by the way, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, I highly recommend it to you. Highly recommend you read that book uh, by Donald Whitney. Um, it's, a, it's a great book. It's a classic. It's been uh, around for several years now. It's been a blessing to many, many people. Uh, I really encourage you to read that book. But he says, when our awareness of the greatness of God and the gospel is dim, our prayer lives will be small. See, the more we recognize God, the more we see God, the more we're going to talk to him. The more we're going to talk about him. And so if we're going to survive this life, we must be men and women of prayer. Pray as if your lives depended upon it, because in a real sense, they do. So we must be men and women of prayer. This has got to be something that is part of our DNA. Look again at Psalm 62.8. Trust him at all times, O people. So if David were standing here before you today, he would say, look, you can trust God. And if anyone understood about trusting in God, David did. And God had brought him safely through many things. And he allowed him to go through difficult waters as well. But it all ultimately ended for good. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So God is your refuge. Just pour your heart out before him. Spend time praying to him. He wants to hear what you have to say. Would you go over to Mark chapter 9, please? Mark 9. If you have your Bible there, go to Mark 9. I want to point out this text of Scripture to you. It's page 844 if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there. Verse 14. Actually, it's page 843. We've got to go back one page. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm wrong. I was right. Mark 9. I went back to Mark 8. Mark 9, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran to, up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. 
And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, he immediately convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. Then most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he rose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to him, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some translations also include the word fasting there as well. I wanted to read that text to you because I wanted to underscore in our minds the importance of prayer in our congregation. I don't think we're fully aware of the spiritual battle that we are in all the time. As a pastor, I probably have a, a, a better vantage point of that sometimes because I just deal with so many more people and I can see all the different things that are happening. But we are in a spiritual warfare. You know, I, I, I said this, and I, and, and I hope you, uh, you receive this in the, in the way I mean it, but I said this to someone the other day. I said, it seems like every time I get enthused or excited here at our church, something happens to try to kill it. It seems like when something really good happens and things are going great, then we get bad news about something else. Or, or there's, there's a, a breakdown in unity someplace. Or there's a misunderstanding or something. And I've just come to realize, and this has been going on for, for, for quite a while, I've just come to realize that we are in a spiritual battle here. And that, that the things that God is trying to do here, so on one hand, I'm energized that we've got the attention of the enemy so much. But, but what I'm saying is that whatever happens here is that we are in this battle. And, and just like in Mark 9 here, there are certain things that can only be ha- overcome by prayer. This is the reason why as a congregation we need to be praying for our church, for each other, for the community around us. We have to be people who are committed to prayer. Because our lives do depend upon it. Our spiritual lives do depend upon it. And so I, I encourage us, let's set aside that first Sunday night each month. That's really not a lot to ask. And come together and pray earnestly for our church, for each other, for our community, for our country, for our world. We need to be praying because, just like Jesus said, prayer is powerful here. We need to bring these things before him. But, you know, so this is like what we're talking about praying dependently. What does that look like? To answer that question, I think turning over to Matthew 6 would be helpful. So go over to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. In verse 5. Again, page 811. 
Jesus wants us to pray thoughtfully. So first, God wants us to pray dependently, and God also wants us to pray thoughtfully. I read this earlier, so I'll just kind of summarize. In verse 7, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases here. Jesus said not to use empty phrases or flowery language to be noticed by others. We're told to pray humbly here, not for the praise of man. And sometimes when we pray, we can start thinking too much about other people around us rather than the people, uh, rather than the person who, to whom we're praying. And it's interesting here, in verse 5, he says, he, 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 command, he, he gives a, a, um, a comparison here. And he says, don't pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and be seen by others. He says this interestingly, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Later on he says, but when you pray, do it in secret. And that's not saying that every prayer has to be in a closet so no one can hear. But he's saying the heart condition has to be about, no, I'm with me and God here in this moment. And what does he say at the end of verse 4? He says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So twice Jesus mentions rewards here, and what he's saying here is he's saying, look, if you pray just to be seen of others, or you're so concerned about what people are going to think about you and the words that you use, the, the reward is too small. You've already received the reward. But if you pray in a way that's completely dependent upon God and, and thoughtful about God, he says, that's the prayer that God will reward. So he says, don't pray to be seen of others. The reward's too small for such proud prayers. As I start to think about why people don't like to pray, you can already see it up there. One reason is, I think, that people don't like to pray in public is because they are, typo there, sorry about that, afraid of sounding unintelligent or less spiritual than others around them. Because I, I have to be honest, I, I, as I've met with people, in, in, it, there's, a, there's a real reticence to pray together. Um, generally speaking, of course. Um, and I've started to, to, to try to figure out why is that. And I think that this is part of the reason why. Is that they feel like that there's, um, oh, I may sound stupid. Or I may sound dumb. Or I, I don't know what to say or things like that. Receive this with the love that, that I'm saying this in. Is that that is the same mistake though, that these people were making here in chapter 6, verse 5 of Matthew. It's just a different application of it. Because in both scenarios, fear of man is driving the prayer or the lack of prayer. He says, no, you've missed the audience at this point. So when we pray together, it's not so that, that... uh, you can think well of my prayers, or I can think well of your prayers. I remember uh, praying uh, for different events and things like that. I, I took a group one time, a group of teenagers, to uh, a, 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 a race uh, a race car race. Uh, um, they had different things there. It was down in Rockford. It was, you know, it was basically like the biggest conglomeration of rednecks I've ever been part of. But. Um, so all these different kinds, they had trailer races and school bus races and all sorts of things like that and everything. Well, they, uh, they asked me when, when I got the group tickets, uh, they, they knew I was from a church, and so they said, hey, well, we have a tradition, we're, we're Southern here, and, and we have a tradition of, of starting every race with an invocation. Would you be willing to do that? So I was like, okay, sure. 
So I went down on the racetrack, and they gave me a microphone. That was an interesting experience enough because you got that echo thing. It was like, you know, dear, 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 have a, have a, have me, pop, 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 pop. So it took me a minute to figure out which voice I should listen to. But story of my life. But um, so I'm praying this thing. So I, so I pray this prayer, you know, just kind of, oh, Lord, please grant safety. You know, help us have a good time, blah, 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 blah. I tried to get the gospel in there a little bit too. You know, thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and all this like that. So hand the microphone back, and then I talked to the, the, the owner who had asked me to do that. She stopped me, and she said, that was a beautiful prayer. And I was like, what do you say to that? And, and so I said, well, okay, okay, thanks. And she's like, where did you get it? And I thought, I'd never been asked this before. And so I, I didn't know how to respond to this. So I just said the only thing that came to my mind, I just said, God. And she looked at me like, so it wasn't connecting because in her understanding of prayers, it was all uh, reading and, and getting from a book. I'm not against those. I use Valley Vision and things like that. I'm not against them at all. Book of Common Prayer is pretty good, all that. Not against them at all. But it's not about saying a prayer that people are going to be impressed with. It's not about having words that people are going to say, oh, wow, they're spiritual. Or, oh, that makes really good sense. We're talking to a person. So pray thoughtfully. Pray as if the person that you're talking to is right there because he is. So when we pray, it shouldn't be about wondering what people are going to think about us. As I said, this is the opposite of the Pharisee's sin here in Matthew 6, but it's still what Jesus was talking about. Pray to God without fear of others. So for the Pharisees, the sin was praying in flowery words to be thought well of. For others, the sin is not praying. So as not to endanger the good opinion of others. Pray. Pray with one another. Another reason people shy away from praying with others, I think, is possibly because they don't know what to say. Too often Christians say the same things about the same things in their prayers. There's no reviving of the soul in such a prayer life because there's little thoughtfulness. God doesn't appreciate the rote prayer ditties that just are repeated with no thought. He appreciates the pouring out of the soul like David commanded in Psalm 63. So sometimes people just don't know what to say. I commend another book to you. The same author, Don Whitney. It's called Praying the Bible. Praying the Bible. Excellent little book. Not very long at all. About 100, 110 pages or so at all. I commend that to you uh, because it's, it's excellent helping think through this issue here. In uh, Don Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines, he says, uh, again, I'm reminding you, when awareness of the greatness of God and the gospel is dim, our prayer lives will be small. Recognize that we're talking about to an infinite God, and so there are infinite topics to talk about. So I think sometimes we tend to say the same things over and over again in our prayer life, and there's very little thought that goes into that. Let's, let, let's be people who are consciously thinking that we're talking to God. So let me give you some suggestions. Here's some practical suggestions about prayer that I just want to share with you. First one is this. Just talk to God. He is a person after all. Just talk to him. So, you know, I am not the expert in prayer. I have growth to do in this, but I can only share with you my experiences. So let me share with you some of the prayers uh, these are some of the ways I started. I start my prayers. God, it's me again. 
Because if I've gone to God for the same thing over and over and over again, sometimes like, God's me again. I need your forgiveness again. I've often started prayers this way. Dad, I need you right now. I want to remind myself of the relationship that I really do have with the Father. I often pray, Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. Sometimes I start, actually many times, God, I don't know what to do. Or, God, why is this happening? This one usually quickly moves to, God, what do you want me to do? I'm not, I'm not proud of this, but I often, or, I, or too many times, I, I have to start my prayers this way. God, I don't even feel like praying right now. Forgive me for that and give me the motivation that I need. Father, I don't even know what to say right now. Please, Holy Spirit, pray on my behalf. Show me what I should be thinking and praying right now. And to moments like these, it's beneficial just to pick up a Bible, open to a psalm or to the Lord's Prayer, and just start praying those prayers with your running commentary interspersed. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Father, I'm thankful that you're my shepherd. You say I won't want. It shows that you should be my sufficiency. But God, there's too many times where I just am so enamored with the things of this world But you should satisfy me. Forgive me for that. May you be my portion. May you be my satisfaction. See how just taking a psalm or portion of verse and letting that guide your prayers lets you pray about things you may not have ever thought about before. I start prayers like this sometimes. God, I know you're good and I do not doubt that, but today I'm tempted to do that. Forgive me. Assure me that I'm yours and that you are being good to me. Father, you amaze me. These are just pouring out my heart. Again, you probably have better examples and other people here have better examples. I'm just sharing with you my experiences. We should pray that we're just talking to God. Another, well, now I'll say this. Some people, they're afraid to complain to God, but I've found that my prayers that begin with complaints end with repentance, praise, and revived soul. And David in Psalm 142, too, says, I poured out my complaint before him. If you read the Psalms, you see that he pours out his complaint. But they almost always end in praise. And so I'm real with God. I, I, if, I'm, if I'm frustrated about something, I tell God. If I'm angry, I tell God. If I'm hurt, I tell God. But I always ask him to bring me to praise at the end. I believe that that is part of the reviving of the soul that prayer brings to us. Never stop praying, secondly. That's my second. I have three suggestions today. As we close, never stop praying. Pray without ceasing is what 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says. So respond to life circumstances with a word of prayer. When I, was a, when I was a kid, my mom, every time she would hear a siren, she would stop and she, in the car we would drive in, she would say, oh, we need to pray for them. And she was just responding to life circumstances. The other day, we were coming back from the airport from picking up my father-in-law and me is in the back and a siren goes by and she's like, guys, guys. We need to stop and pray for the fire truck. And so she says, so she led us in a prayer for that. Started with my mom. I did it. Now my daughter's doing it. Just responding to life circumstances. Never stop praying. Again, I quote Don Whitney in his book, 
um, uh, praying that, uh, or no, um, spiritual discipline. You might think of praying without ceasing as communicating with God on one line while also taking calls on another. If while you are talking, even while you are talking on the other line, you never lose your awareness of the need to return your attention to the Lord. So praying without ceasing means that you never really stop conversing with God. You simply have frequent interruptions. I like that. That we're always just kind of in this conversation, this ongoing conversation with God, and it's interrupted all the time because people need to talk to us and things like that. We need to live in this world. But we're always going back to him. Always going back to him. John Owen, he said this, Pray as you think. Consciously embrace with your heart every gleam of light and truth that comes to your mind. Thank God for and pray about everything that strikes you powerfully. Like that. Pray as you think. If thoughts come into your mind, pray. So keep going. Never stop praying. My final suggestion is this, this morning, to help us in our prayer lives, is use the Bible. Use the Bible. John Piper said, If I try to pray for people or events without having the Word in front of me guiding my prayers, then several negative things happen. One is that I tend to be very repetitive. I just pray the same things all the time. Another negative thing is that my mind tends to wander. Anyone else struggle with that? <laughs> mind wandering during prayer? Yeah. And I think what Piper what he's saying here is, is that as I started looking at different people throughout history, they've all come to the same conclusion that the book of Psalms primarily, but the Bible, is to be used for our prayer lives. So the problem isn't that we pray for the same old things. We should keep praying for those things. Rather, it's that we, use the same, that we say the same old things about the same old things. Is that there's no thoughtfulness there. So the simple solution to the boring routine of saying the same old things about the same old things is that when we pray, pray through a passage of Scripture, particularly a psalm. Joni Erickson Tata, you might know her as a Christian lady who was paralyzed in a diving accident, um, spent her life in a wheelchair. She said this, I've learned to season my prayers with the Word of God. It's a way of talking to God in His language, speaking His dialect, using His vernacular, employing His idioms. This is not a matter of simply a divine vocabulary. It's a matter of power. When we bring God's Word directly into our praying, we are bringing God's power into our praying. What is she saying there? She's saying that these are things that He said, and so we're bringing them back to Him. And I like how Graham Goldsworthy talks about this, this, he talks about how we should do this. He says, as you pray a psalm, think about the pathway from the psalm to you through the mediation of Christ. And so as we go through, so the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, you say, you know, Jesus, you are my shepherd. You are leading me. Because of the work on the cross, there's nothing else I need. There's nothing else that I should, should have to have. You are my sufficiency because my ultimate need was salvation. And Jesus, you provided that for me. So I can say you are my shepherd and I shall not want. I do not need anything else. Cycling it through Christ back to us. I found this to be very helpful in my prayer life. Another illustration could be In Psalm 51, when David said, Against you I have sinned, 
This is how I could pray. I could say, Father, I have sinned against you. I'm confessing my sin before you. And I see what David here, he said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil work. That's true, but thank you for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, Father. Forgive me based upon his work. He's taking what David said, his confession of sin, reminding us of our own sin, confessing it to God, but yet filtering it through the work of Jesus Christ. And this revives our souls. Our prayer life is much more rich. Another benefit of praying through passages of Scripture, especially of Psalm, is that our prayers tend to be more God-centered. People who pray based on the Scriptures will find themselves praising God more than usual. And so when we pray the Bible, our monologue to God becomes a conversation with God. And many people have advocated praying this way. George Mueller would be another one of them. So in conclusion, let me just say this. Prayer is a way of reviving our souls. And God's given us a book to guide us in that. God's given us the way that we can have a rich prayer life to God. We can take a psalm particularly. I just happened to open the Psalm 92 here. And it says, it's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to the name of the Most High. And then I can stop at that verse and say, God, it is good for me to thank you. And thank you for the many things that you do. And then when I've run out of things to say about verse 1, guess what I do? I go to verse 2. And I talk to God about verse 2. And then when I'm done, I'm done. It's a way that we can have a rich prayer life to God. So pray to God knowing that your spiritual life depends upon it. Pray to God intentionally. Ask Him to revive your soul. Take time to meditate on who He is and then talk to Him about it. Really, all I'm asking and advocating today is simply turn your thoughts Godward as you read a passage of Scripture. Don't read just for information's sake. Read it to go back to God. You can also do this in narrative passages as well. So, let me encourage you. Schedule each Sunday night, the first Sunday each month, to join us here to pray together. And then, if I could give you a homework assignment, pray through a psalm each day this week. Start with Psalm 1. And just, just pick a psalm every day and use that as a guide for your prayer life and see how that changes your prayer life. Maybe we can talk about that next. Father, we need to have our souls revived. We need to know um, your mind, and your word has given us that. Father, it's a little different morning today, a little different type of message. But I pray that you would use the suggestions here and Um, that were offered to help us become more dependent in our prayers and more thoughtful in our prayers. It's easy to be repetitious. It's easy just to say the same old catchphrases in our prayers for those of us who have been Christians for many years. And though there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, I just wonder if we're not being thoughtful when we talk to you. And no one appreciates thoughtless conversations. And so even now in this moment as I'm praying to you, I pray that we would be men and women who are committed to praying to you. We're busy. We have distractions. We're in a spiritual war. We're in a fight. 
We have low attention spans. We're overwhelmed. But none of those are sufficient reasons to keep us from praying. To revive our souls through prayer. Because I know the more I talk to you, the more I meditate upon you, the more my soul is encouraged and the discouragements and the complaints that I started prayers with melt away and the issues will still be there, but my hope is restored and my energy to deal with them is renewed because of this thing called prayer. So, thank you. May we be men and women of prayer. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.